Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. There's not much behind the curtain anymore. It's all there for the players to see and understand and and utilize to get better. Jason Dominguez like didn't play a ton of baseball games. He did a ton of baseball activity, but not a ton of games. And so the expectation to compare him at the same age to an Anthony Volpe or somebody who's been on the travel ball circuit and you know he's been around baseball his whole life, I, I don't think it's fair. That's one of the biggest things that I tell the players each year is like, hey, Please prove me wrong. Like, you know, there's there's a, a low percentage of you guys that are going to make it to the big leagues and have a long career in the big leagues. I'm fine if that percentage is a little bit higher than, than I think it is at any given point in time. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Samasiri. Hello. What's going on, Al? And of course, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. Hello. It's cool to say another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. Obviously, we had an exciting launch right around opening day with Garrett Cole. I think that was probably you know the most impressive thing he did on opening day this year. What, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it was comparable to what he did on the mound. I'll F- say fair enough. Much. Fair enough. Your mileage may vary. Today, we have another awesome, awesome interview. We have a real top-down look at the Yankees farm system from the VP of Player Development, Kevin Reese. It's a great conversation that I have with him where he talks about what goes into running a farm system, developing players, and frankly, how the New York Yankees are kind of like Chick-fil-A. And if you want to know what that's about, you better uh, go ahead and listen. And then we're going to come back and talk about one specific instance of a situation where the Yankees have maximized the value on a player that they picked up. And of course, by that, we're talking about Nate, your story on Jose Trevino. But first, let's send it over to Kevin Reese right now, and then we'll be back. Joining me right now on the New York Yankees official podcast, we have Kevin Reese, the Yankees vice president of player development. Kevin, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, John. You bet. I I have to say I love your title. You are the vice president of player development. You are in charge of developing Yankees. No pressure. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. A lot of people that go into that, uh, not only players, but staff of all different varieties. And, and, you know, we're looking to develop players, not only as players, but as people hopefully prepare them for the bright lights in the big city in New York. Awesome. As a talent evaluator, as a player development exec, how would you evaluate Kevin Reese as a player? Um, you know, it's interesting to, to ask that question because uh, that was the first thing I did uh, when I became a scout and really understood how we look at players. It became very clear to me why I didn't have more big league time with the Yankees. Um, I, I did a lot of things pretty well, but nothing extremely well. Uh, and, and in the backup type role that I was likely to fill on a team filled with all-stars, um, 
I, I needed to be a better defender, a better base dealer, hit for more power, all of those things. And so that was kind of how I looked at myself, like pretty good at a lot of things, but not quite good enough at any one thing. You got to the plate 16 times in a major league game. And I think most people generally get it, but maybe that's astonishing. Like, that's an amazing accomplishment. And you more than anyone know how many guys, how many super talented ball players never sniff anything like that. It just You never know what's going to happen. But you've been a front office member, an executive for far longer than you were a player. When you think of your baseball life at this point, do you see a former ball player or do you see a baseball executive? Um, I'll take the cop out here. I, I see a, an executive who, who had a playing career of some sort. Um, and I like to fa- fall back on that a lot. Just, you know, the experiences that I had as a player, which was, as you mentioned, very brief in the major leagues, but a little bit longer in the minor leagues. And, and for the most part, that's what I'm dealing with, right? Is, is guys that are trying to get there who are going through the ups and downs of, of just life and, you know, be, becoming an adult and trying to figure out, you know, where they belong in the world and things like that. And so there's just, there's so much more that goes into it than just, Hey, you got to hit a breaking ball better. You're dealing with things that are, that are happening with your family far away. You're dealing with things that are happening or that you're hoping that are going to happen or that you're planning for happening that may or may not happen. And things change a lot. So I think I fall back on that because, because I've been there because I was there, you know, getting sent down by Joe Torrey. I was there getting called up by our AAA manager and uh, and ultimately, I saw my career end and, and transition into something else. Do you think it helps that the guys in the system, whether they're at the very bottom or, you know, really scratching at the door, that they know your experience, that they know that they're talking to someone who has had those conversations, who's gotten those calls and everything like that? I, I do think so. Um, you know, Eric Schmidt and I kind of oversee player development together and we were, we were roommates in the minor leagues and kind of, you know, lived that life for a while. So. I think it helps us not only with the conversations as they happen, you know, whether it's with a group of players or with an individual player, but also understanding what's going on and, and trying to put yourself back in their shoes again to to say, hey, how, how would I have handled this? Is this so off base if somebody does something, you know, slightly out of line or different than that we might have wanted them to do it? So I think that understanding definitely helps uh, as we are presented with situations that are wild and unimaginable until they happen on a year to year basis. 45 years old now, you were drafted in 2000. How different is a minor league system now than when you first encountered one? A lot. Um, I mean, just the amount of, of technology, the amount of things that can kind of tell you, and, and a lot of times it's it's what your hitting coach might have said or your pitching coach might have said, but, but give you a little more confirmation uh, if you are making improvements or if you are kind of uh, getting sidetracked on, on where you need to be. I, I think that it's interesting because we have a lot of ex-players come through you know, just kind of tour the facility or see things, how, how things have changed both, both visually and just, you know, how we do things on the field. And, and almost every one of them says, man, how lucky are these guys to have what they have now? Like, and they wish they had it themselves because most of us were analytical thinkers without having the analytics. Most of us were guys who liked video without having 15 angles or high speed cameras or, or all of those things. And so we were trying to piece it together ourselves and, and our hitting coach, you know, our pitching coach was right there with us, but, but there's just so much information now that can really help you get on that path and, and a lot less guesswork as far as trying to get a player to reach their ceiling or trying to be that player that's trying to reach their ceiling. It looks like a science lab in there in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it's remarkable even for me because it's kind of what you expect when you go in there at this point is you know what to expect in a sense. And no one's obviously testing, you know, my speed from home to first or my bat speed or anything like that. But I, I can only imagine just, I'm sure it's intimidating for some guys. I'm sure it's exciting for some guys. And I'm sure it's just natural for some of these guys who that they've been doing that stuff since high school. Right. 
Yeah, we're starting to see that that new wave of players that, that have been doing it, you know, on the on the travel ball circuit, doing it in high school, doing it some of the the best colleges and universities around the country, and and it's just becoming second nature to them. So, I think it's becoming less intimidating over time. We have a lot of people that are that are experts in their field that are willing to kind of open up that door. There's not much behind the curtain anymore. It's all there for the players to see and understand and and utilize to get better. I, th- I think that goes for how we evaluate players too. There's a lot less of like, man, I think that I should be getting called up or why am I not? Because it, it's in their face every day. You know, the, the coaches that are at the affiliates, the coordinators who are bouncing around, they're letting these guys know, you know what their objectives are, what they need to improve on, what kind of uh, KPIs they need to hit to get to the next level. And, um, and so I think it makes it a lot easier to be a player there not wondering those things. Okay. So what's KPI? <laughs> Key performance indicators. Just <laughs> there it is. some sort of statistic that that we might, you know, point to like hey, we need to improve x for you to 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 get where you want to go. What does a day look like? I mean, I I don't expect you have a typical day. But are you someone who you want to try to focus on everything all the time and have and have everything under control or are you the person who says like, okay, you know, right now I need to spend just some time on double A triple A pitching? No, I mean, I am, I am very fortunate to have a team of, you know, both in, in our front office as well as, you know, the, the field coordinators and then the, uh, the affiliate staffs who, who take care of things themselves, um, who are, are typically on top of, of anything that they need to be or noticing, you know, when things are starting to get off, off base or, or when things are getting better. Um, and, and so I think, you know, having that communication with an organization this size, I learned a ton from from Cash, um, you know, spending time in New York and just over the years, conversations with him. I bounce ideas off of him to be able to, how do, how can I understand this this situation or or handle it better? A typical day, though, like usually gets atypical at about eleven. Um, <laughs> that's you, when you, you make it a full two hours. Wild huh? things start going <laughs> around, but um, usually in the morning, I start off the day going through our box scores from the previous nights and just kind of looking at the performance of, of different players and and. Uh, we have a system built to, to be able to do that. That makes it a lot easier than, than it used to be for sure, but um, can also be a lot more time consuming, but try to get through that in the morning before, uh, you know, we just have whether, whether it's player moves to do or, you know, discussion meetings and things like that. I know that scouting and player development aren't the same thing, obviously, but they are in the same family scouting. You know, if I want to simplify, this is seeing what's there and what can be there. Right. And development is about drawing out that ability, about what what the scout saw maybe and how you're going to maximize that. How do you see the differences in those roles? I think just being a lot more hands-on. Like one of the things that I, I enjoyed sometimes about scouting was that you're you're out there on the road by yourself. You know, it's you and your player evaluation, and, and that's kind of it. You know, one of the things that I enjoy about player development is that you're never alone. You know, <laughs> there there's – there's an affiliate staff there that you're seeing when you're when you're scouting those players. You're interacting with the players, kind of seeing how everything's going for them, and then you're watching games and evaluating at the same time. So, so again, you know that that is something that that there is a cross of the paths, and and I think every front office member to some extent is doing some sort of player evaluations, and you know we're able to do some of that now slightly differently from from a computer than we are when we're doing it in person. But all of that information goes into helping us make decisions and. And we have, you know, dialogue before we promote somebody or demote somebody or send somebody to the big leagues or, or release somebody. We have that conversation with a lot of different departments, get people to weigh in from different sides, whether it be strength and conditioning, mental conditioning, the analytics group, the coaches that are with them on the field or, you know, the front office or scouts. 
How do you, I know it's the job and I, and, and I get it, but how do you avoid getting attached? Because it's so results-based, especially, or not especially, but even at the development stages, it is results-based. But at the same time, you know, you know what it's like, and, I, and, I, and you're also a human being, you know, sometimes you got to cut bait with a guy that you still believe can develop, I imagine. I think that I go back to that question, the first question you asked about like player development and what it is. And I think that it's more than just a playing career uh, for a number of us. And, and uh, that's probably the best way to say that I don't get attached is that it doesn't end just because a player gets traded, gets released, stops playing baseball. There's a number of guys that, you know, we stay in contact with, or I stay in contact with. And, and that, that makes it a little easier, you know, when, when you, you can make a recommendation for somebody to get a job outside of baseball. You can hire a guy that you released maybe at some point down the road. Um, they get into scouting. They pick your brain on different ideas. Like it's 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 about the people and and the relationships. And you know, I think there's a number of guys that are frustrated when it when they get released, and there's a, a number of guys that that recognize that we did anything we could uh, possible for them to to get where they were. And that it was it was probably time. So I think uh, just having a little bit of a different perspective makes it a little bit easier. A couple months ago, I was talking to Austin Wells. And one of the things that intrigued me about him is that he played for so many different affiliates last year. And so I asked him what he noticed from doing that. And he mentioned how consistent the message was. No matter which clubhouse he was in, it was the same thing. And I'm guessing from your perspective, that's exactly what you want to hear, right? You want to know that whether a guy is in Tampa, Somerset, Hudson Valley, or Scranton, or the Bronx, that they're getting the same message. Yes. Um, Mario Garza, our director of baseball development, uses a uh, you know, kind of like a franchisee analogy with you know like Chick-fil-A. You go to Chick-fil-A in Texas, and then you go to one in Florida, you go to one in Georgia, it all looks the same, smells the same, tastes the same. And we're looking for the same thing with, with our affiliates, you know, um, the messaging, the training methods, the accountability, like all of that should look, it's, it's going to be a little different from Rachel Balkovic to Shelly Duncan. They're going to have their own twist on it, but at the same time, it's, it's not going to be a completely different world when you, when you move from affiliate to affiliate. You know that every Yankees fan on Twitter is a general manager and more and more, every one of them is also a VP of player development. They know more than you do, obviously, of course, about which players should be moving where. You know, they, they should tell you wh- what your job is. But at the same time, one thing that you know, one thing that I've learned is it's never just, you know, this player, let's move him up a level and then great, we did it. I mean, there, there, there's 65 moving pieces that go into any single move that you make, right? I wonder if you can expound on that a little bit and just how much is involved in saying, okay, we are going to send this guy up, um, whether it's as a injury situation, whether it's as a spot start, or whether it's you know he's ready for be a major leaguer full time. Yeah, I mean, I think the first question we ask is: Is this in the best interest of of this particular player? And you know, there are some people who have extremely high ceilings, and they're you know fifty percent of the way there. There's some people that are you know kind of maxed out, and and maybe that that max out is a up down type big leaguer, or maybe it's a it's a reserve type player. But then there's guys that are you know, we, we see as future starters or future all-stars and things like that, that, that it might just change the context of, of the timing of, you know, how, like you said, how long he might be there going through all of the different departments for, you know, kind of gathering opinions on readiness. And, and that might include maturity. That might include how he handles the media. That might include an injury that he had himself or something that they're coming off of. So there are a million things that go into it. Um, no, no one situation is the same. For all the all the Twitter GMs out there, like <laughs> we listen to you guys too. You know, sometimes there's information or, or things that pop up or just another perspective that we're like, hmm, that that is interesting. You know, nobody's ever brought that up. 
So it's all there. And, and um, I, I do think that there's no right decision. There's no perfect moment in time to, to do some of these promotions and things like that. But uh, we try our best. One of the most interesting stories I ever had the chance to work on was with a former Yankees pitching coordinator. He let me shadow him for about a week at two different affiliates. And the thing that really blew my mind, literally, like I couldn't believe, was when he tried to explain to me the magnitude of communication that goes on every night with the whole development staff. And I mean, you can correct me if I'm getting some details wrong, but you need to know who threw too many innings in Scranton, which means you need to get them a pitcher tomorrow from Somerset, which means that you need to get Somerset someone from Hudson Valley and yada, yada, all the way down the line. Another pitcher had to step up to take those innings. And now you need to fill that hole too. And the one thing that struck me is the process couldn't end every night until the last team played its last game. So when the big league club was on the West coast, let's say, you were having conversations at 2 to 3 a.m. trying to figure out you know, how to move around this puzzle of the Yankees system. I guess my question is, how big of an ocean liner is this thing? It's not just the number of players, and it's not just the different locations. It's that every single thing you do has 45 different implications on it, I assume. Yeah, the, the one thing I will give a shout-out to MLB for uh, expanding the rosters uh, a couple years ago. So it went from 24 and 25 man rosters in the minor leagues to 28 in double A AA and triple A and 30 in high A and low A. So that obviously gave us a little bit more of a buffer with the, the number of pitchers and the number of innings. In addition to that, the base runner on, on second, you know, to start extra innings has, has caused games to not go deep into the 16th, 17th, 18th inning yeah. quite as often as it used to. Um, but all of that, all of that is still true, you know, until, until the end of the night, until that final game is over, there's a there's a pretty big group of us that are kind of sitting by our phones and often watching the games on MILB TV or or the big league game if they're on the on the West Coast and just kind of waiting until we get like that we give or get that all clear to uh, go to bed and run it back the next day. <laughs> when you see, I mean, obviously you have your I don't want to say your ceilings because like, I don't think you you have your senses though of where these guys maybe like you know they're. High watermark might be whatever, but obviously guys exceed that. I mean, certainly guys, you know, they, they don't reach that, but other, there are plenty of guys who you never pegged for major league stardom. And it just turns out when you see a guy advancing a level beyond maybe where you had expected, how gratifying is that both just as, you know, we maximize this kid's player development, but also just look, look, what, look, look, look what this kid gets to do now. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's always a win, you know, even if, they, they end up with another organization or something like that. As I mentioned, you know, the, the relationship continues and, and we're still pulling for these guys. And uh, I, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest things that I tell the players each year is like, hey, please prove me wrong. Like, you know, there's, there's a, a low percentage of you guys that are going to make it to the big leagues and have a long career in the big leagues. I'm fine if that percentage is a little bit higher than, than I think it is at any given point in time. And if, if you're the one that uh, – you know, maybe wasn't getting all the playing time you want or doesn't start at the level that you expected to and you make it like bring on the I told you so or you were wrong. Like I will I'll give you a hug every single time. So uh, I guess that's how we handle that. It's strange, though, and you'll have to trust. I mean, no disrespect by this, but most of the people in front offices these days aren't there because it's the next step after a Hall of Fame playing career. Right. I mean, a lot of you are trying to scout players who can do things that you guys couldn't do essentially and develop players to levels that you guys couldn't reach in some cases. Is it as simple as, and again, like I, this doesn't sound nice, but forgive me the old saying, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach in a sense are, are people in your shoes. Do you think uniquely conditioned 
to understand the things that separate guys who can from guys who maybe can't? I, I don't think so. I mean, we are fortunate enough to have Nick Swisher uh, spend a lot of time with us. And while he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, he was a really good player. For sure. And, and he really wants to put in the work. He's there every day. He's learning about things that, that you know, maybe different perspectives that he hasn't looked at, at the game through. Also bringing his own perspective to things that maybe myself or Cash or whoever hasn't really thought about. So, Probably a little energy, too. A, a ton of energy every day. And, and, you know, before that, we had Eric Chavez with us, who's gone on to a great, you know, post-playing career, a guy who had a really good all-star, you know, type career and, and made a lot of money and still wanted to work and still loved the game, still wanted to give back to others. And 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 I think we're seeing that more and more. Like, it's it's always surprising when you you see somebody who did everything that they need to do to probably just be playing golf or hanging out at the beach every day, and they, they just still want to work. But I don't think that anybody, whether they, you know, were the best player of all time or the worst player of all time, can survive in this career right now, uh, whether it's on-field coaching or front office, without putting in continued work because there's just so much that we continue to learn and grow with, and and think you know different perspectives, different technology that in order to connect with players, you just you just have to be on top of. One thing that I always find fascinating about the connecting with players thing is. It's so hard, obviously, the minor league system, that, that ladder you have to climb, whether you're starting, you know, at 16 years old in the Dominican or, you know, drafted after college and, and a little bit more mature. And I don't want to say anyone has it easier, anyone has it harder, or that you need to focus on anyone more or less. But the longer you do this, the more experience you have. I, I find for me, again, I don't think that it was necessarily harder, quote unquote, for Luis Severino to reach major league stardom than for Aaron Judge to reach major league stardom. But like, Aaron Judge starts at a baseline of understanding the language where he is, understanding the culture where he is. And you see Luis Severino now, and obviously you look at him interacting with the young kids, you know how much he's helping them and everything like that. How much do you guys focus on? And I know I've seen the system in the Dominican and how much work you guys do there on instruction, things like that. But how much do you focus on just the fact that that is an extra hurdle for these kids that, you know, the kids stay side just don't have to deal with in a lot of ways? I don't think that can be overstated. I mean, the example that always gets given, like just ordering food at a restaurant is is a challenge if you don't speak the language. And we've had a ton of coaches who have taken the initiative to learn Spanish themselves, who engulf them in an environment where they have to kind of experience that guys spend time in the DR. We don't just stay on campus, you know, go out and kind of experience the life and, and, and see what that culture is like, because it's a huge challenge. And, and, you know, the, the education level comes into play at times the maturity level, like what they've been doing, you know, for example, Jason Dominguez, like didn't play a ton of baseball games. He did a ton of baseball activity, but not a ton of games. And so the expectation to compare him at the same age to an Anthony Volpe or somebody who's been on the travel ball circuit and, you know, he's been around baseball his whole life. I I don't think it's fair. And it's, it's nice because we have, I think a, a large group of people in the DR, the education department that are both helping and understanding you know, what those guys are going through. And, and it's, it's tremendous the way that we've had people like Sevi, like Labor Torres, you know, learn English, embrace English, do interviews in English, which are challenging enough uh, in your, in your first language. So, that's for sure. uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that we think about every day. We make sure we have translators at, at all of our events, just so that there's no miscommunication and, and no expectation of just like, Hey, this guy should be getting it just like the UCLA graduate that's standing next to him. We are in 2023 right now, obviously, in a lot of ways, positively, the pandemic's kind of in the rearview mirror in some senses. But you know, probably more than anyone, 
that year lost. Like, you know, the major leaguers got to play whatever. It was a weird season, but they got to play. That year lost for all those minor league kids. Are you still seeing, in some cases, the impact of that where you just know, like, this guy lost a year of development and you can't get that back? I, I think so, for sure. Most notably, like, the, the guys that are coming in from the draft now might be redshirt, fourth-year, fifth-year, sixth-year seniors, and then, you know, jumping to that gap from – some of the Latin American players who sign at 16 and we're bringing them up to the Florida complex league or whatever. And they're, they're playing against each other. And like, this is sometimes men versus boys. We're you know going to see less and less of it as we get removed from that 2020 season. And I, and I do think that our staff did an amazing job of communicating with those guys, coordinating workouts and practices virtually watching guys via zoom, sending videos back and forth. Uh, to take advantage of that to the best that we could, but it's just not the same as playing uh, 140 games or, or being in spring training or being an instructional league. So the, the players did a good job with it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with the way we came out of it, but it, it certainly is something that was lost. This is almost a hilariously stable front office that the Yankees have now. How important is that, do you think, for a player's individual development that the voices are kind of staying, not just the message staying the same, but the vo- the actual voices are staying the same in a lot of cases, that the people running the show, the people building the plans and everything like that, in a lot of cases, have been with them from the time they were drafted all the way up their ladder. Probably depends on which players you ask, <laughs> but <laughs> but I do think it is important, you know, just, just keeping that messaging uh, similar and, and continuous as they, as they progress throughout their career. Um, I, I think We've had a number of coaches that were in the minor leagues that have now joined the major league staff. So having that consistency, you know, a familiar face goes a long way. Speaking from experience, you know, being called up to the big leagues from the first time and not having been through a major league spring training, but having been around some of the guys, it's it's really nice to, to go and like have people know your name, have people know to expect you and, and you know, how you go about your business. So that, that certainly helps. And I've heard from a number of players who have been here, left here, or been somewhere else, come back here, that, you know, they really appreciate the experience. They they appreciate the resources that we have, the people that we have, and, and are usually happy to come back. As you look at the system now from the top down, what would you say is the biggest single strength? You know, we, we've had really good pitching development for a long time and, and pitchers that are coming up to, you know, kind of whether they, they, they're utilized in trades or make it to the big leagues themselves, you know, with, with the Yankees. That I feel like has been pretty consistent for a while. Maybe not as much on the starting pitcher side, but there, if you look around the league, there's a number of guys that came up here that are that are starting pitchers for other organizations. Um, I think the biggest strength right now is that we have a really nice crop of upper level position players that are either knocking on the door, have just got there, or kind of coming up through Double A at this point that I think are going to have a big impact for us in the future. That's really exciting. I've been talking to a couple of our scouts that are that are coming through minor league camp and. And I think that's their biggest impression is like, man, like you look around each position, you can find somebody who can probably fill that spot and, and be there for a long time. Every single thing you do, you know, there's 29 other guys doing the same thing you are essentially, you know, they all want the same players you want. They all want to take your guys, develop your guys, whatever it is. What keeps you awake at night? <laughs> uh, hmm. I, I, I think more than anything, just making sure that you're doing the best for all of those players that you have, you know, we have, roughly 200 players domestically uh we have another 70 plus in the dr we've got the major league players that we're you know trying to help and take care of as well so just just making sure that we're doing everything we can 
to get them where they want to be, I think is, is the biggest driving factor. And I, I don't know if I see it as pressure as much as I see it as, as an opportunity and, and something that, you know, I just want to be proud of, you know, the, the, the whole group, whether it's the you know, strength and conditioning coaches, the medical staff, like everybody's dealing with something different and everything is the most important thing to, to someone at a different point in their career. And so we just want to make it all make it all great, you know, as great as we can and, and hope that when when that career comes to an end, they can look back and say, man, those guys did, did everything they could for me. And I'm very appreciative. Kevin Reese, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Kyle Higashioka. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Guys, tell me, what, what do you think? Uh, you know, it seems like seems like the pretty impressive operation, I, I would say, uh, the New York Yankees farm system. It's, it's an impressive operation. He's an impressive person. Great interview with him, John. And and also, you know, it's what's kind of neat is you see what the results are. I mean, how many great young players this organization has, has had in recent years. And, and even if you look back a little further, um, I just think about, even, you know, Brian Cashman talking about, you know, something that I, I think will excite him for the rest of his life and he was so happy about is looking at Aaron Judge and all that he's done and then obviously re-signing him. But the genesis of that is that he was drafted. He was not somebody that came here later. He was drafted and maybe he's the perfect example, but there's so many, you know, so many other ones that are almost as as, as remarkable. But it's more that he was developed. Drafting is one thing. A lot of players get drafted and, and Judge was not the Yankees' first pick that year. No. He was developed, you know, and I think that's a huge part of what Kevin and I spoke of, that it's not just a matter of where these guys are the minute they enter your program. It's, mm-hmm. you know, where they are when they graduate essentially yeah, to the big leagues. It's a, it's a unique sport in the sense of like, if you look at, you know, the NBA, a guy who's a, a really top pick comes in and can be great right off the bat. Can be the MVP in that first year. Could be the MVP or, um, you know, football, certainly the, the same thing. I think it took, you know, Patrick Mahomes about a year to be Patrick Mahomes. You look at where baseball players start I don't mean start when they get to the majors, but meaning start in whether it's rookie ball, single A, even a guy like Anthony Volpe, who is now, you know, starting shortstop for the New York Yankees, whether it was a year ago or or the year, you know, Nate, that you were down in Pulaski doing the story, you know, down there when he was on that team, he was in single A and he was struggling mightily. There was a lot of developing that had to be done done between now, excuse me, between then and, and now. Yeah, it's a long road. Uh, there's there's pretty few exceptions in Major League history, you know, unless you're Dave Winfield or something. Like, you're going to have to, you know, pay your dues in the minors and take your lumps. And, and um, you know, listening to that conversation, John, it was just, it was really, really interesting. I, I could have listened to that. I mean, that could have gone on for much longer and it, you would have had my attention um, because, you know, Kevin Reese, I think, you know, my takeaway was just, you know, how fortunate the Yankees are to have him uh, in the position he is because he does have that, you know, that, 
playing experience of having gone through it himself and um you know just a really uh you know adds a human touch to to something like i think that's really important and i i thought it was really interesting to hear him talk about how you know even when guys move on to you know different franchises or whatever uh a lot of times they still maintain relationships with the yankees and uh, i think that's a good way to do business and i think that the way they try to do business is to make them realize that as he said at the end of the day, of course, look, Kevin Reese's job is to make the Yankees world champions down the road, not talking about the players that, you know, he, it's nice when you win a AAA, world, or AAA championship, but that's not the goal. But the thing is, he feels, and I think everyone in the organization feels a responsibility to these players that they are going to maximize their talent. And frankly, that might be on another team. Like you said, there's only so much room in the major leagues with the New York Yankees. It might be on another team. It might not work out here. But they're going to make the decisions that they have to make that they think are in the best interests of the players. And I thought that that was fascinating. And one thing that I kind of kept going back to him a bunch of times, which I think is a piece of this that I find really interesting, is the Yankees have just been such a stable franchise for so long now that these players who are developing, you know, we're talking about Aaron Judge, you know, most of Aaron Judge's development with the New York Yankees was run by the same people who are now running Spencer Jones development, you know, with the New York Yankees. And what that means is that these guys are getting a consistent message. They're hearing the same things that the guys that they're trying to emulate had heard themselves. And look, in my opinion, I'm not a professional player development staffer, but and I'm not a professional baseball player, obviously, but I think that has to be helpful. I think that has to be impactful, and I think that has to play a part in why the Yankees are able to produce top-level talent. And obviously, and I think to your point, Nate, you have to talk about not just top-level talent that is currently on the New York Yankees roster, but there's a lot of young starting pitchers in the major leagues right now that the Yankees developed, but that they ended up trading. But those are guys who came through the Yankees development system. We've seen it from from both sides. You know, we've seen the Yankees acquire guys over the last few years who, you know, have gone on to exceed maybe what a lot of people believed their their ceilings were, you know, thanks to some of those people that are in place here within the organization. So, um, yeah, of course, it's it's tough when you see a guy go elsewhere and, and blossom. But, you know, it happens and you love it when it's on our end. I agree with you. It, you know, uh, it's tough to see it. But, you know, sometimes you see it, but the reason that that person is in a different place is because we made a trade and got something really valuable for them. You know, got a player that, that brings a lot of value and we, and there's dividends that we get from that player. And in, in turn, that goes back to player development also, because if we hadn't developed the player that we traded, we wouldn't have gotten return a, a better player, you know, or a great player. So I, I think it's, you know, I think there's a, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but I think there's a benefit no matter no matter how it goes. And I think that if you go back and I talked to Kevin a little bit about this, uh, the story I did a couple of years ago with the Yankees pitching coordinator, then Danny Burrell. And one thing that I'll always remember about that reporting process is there was one meeting that we had that we had that he had that I sat in on. Um, it was with him with all the pitchers and catchers. I believe it was in the weight room in Staten Island. And he's sitting there, and this is, you know, he's talking to low A pitchers, and he's saying to them, a lot of you guys shouldn't be here. You know, a lot of you guys are at a higher level than this league, and the reason you're here right now is because we are very, very, very stacked in pitching right now. And what that means is a lot of you guys are playing below the level, and that's 
he didn't say this to them, but what I can tell you is that's not good for their development. You don't want players who are pitching at a level below where they should be. And, and frankly, so that's what it means. When you're producing that level of high-end pitching talent, the best thing you can do both for the New York Yankees but also for those individual players is say, the best thing is for you to be on another team right now and we can fill another hole with you. And that doesn't mean we didn't develop you and that doesn't mean we gave up on you. And I think Kevin was really clear about explaining that. You're not giving up on a player when you trade him. It's just you're trying to complete a puzzle in a sense. And it doesn't always work in linear fashion from you get drafted or you get signed out of Venezuela and then four or five years later, you're starting on opening day in the way it worked for Anthony Volpe. That's, you know, a rocket ship. That, 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 that's a shooting star, you know, but it doesn't always work that way. So Hayden Wisniewski right now being a starting pitcher for the Cubs, I, I, that's a success for the New York Yankees player development program. Absolutely. It was a really fascinating conversation, John. And I liked that, you know, Kevin really didn't shy away from any of the questions you asked him. He was very forthright and, um, you know, really illuminating about a lot of different subjects. I'll tell you one funny thing. Uh, so, so when we were sitting down, and, and I'll be clear, this, this happened during spring training. We sit down in this room where we're doing the interview and, you know, I'm, I'm testing the microphones with him and all this stuff. And, and one thing, you know, I well, I, I should back up before I say this. The day before, Connor Foley, who Yankees fans probably know, covers Yankees minor leaguers at, at, at Scranton. He was down there. And, and, and this was when everyone was kind of wondering who's going to be the starting shortstop for the Yankees. And a bunch of us were sitting there with him and we're like, oh, man, you're our secret weapon here you should figure out who's going to be the starting shortstop for the rail riders. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, I was talking to Kevin Reese yesterday and I asked him that. And I think I almost tricked him for a second. So anyhow, Kevin, the next day, Kevin and I were setting up the microphones. I'm getting everything set. And I'm just telling him how this is going to be. And I'm like, look, you know, we're the Yankee. I'm, I'm not trying to push you to things that you're not allowed to say, whatever, you know, and I said to him at the time, and I, I, this is like March 22nd, I'm not going to ask you who the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees is. He's like, oh, yeah, yesterday, some guy from Scranton tried to trick me by asking <laughs> me who was going to be the shortstop for the railroads. I'm like, yeah, we, we know. He's yeah, like, yeah, he almost got me. That's so, awesome. yeah, he didn't shy away from anything, but I did not maybe ask the question at the time that most Yankees fans wanted to hear more than anything. Well, that we was. got his bio page in the yearbook, so. It was yeah, the same thing that happened, by the way. I almost said yeah. to him, it's, I, I literally, as it's going on, I was like, well, you know, we did just write a bio page for Anthony Volpe. <laughs> it all worked out in the end. It did. But but again, and, and Nate, you touched on this, and we mentioned this earlier, Jose Trevino, who you wrote an amazing story about in San Antonio for the April issue. In a lot of ways, that's not a, a, a tribute to the Yankees player development staff. What it is, though, and I think why it's relevant to this conversation we're having right now is, again, what's great about talking to whether it's Kevin Reese or Brian Cashman or Mike Fishman or Gene Edmund, when you talk to people who can take, give you a top-down look at the organization in ways that you don't always see – Jose Trevino is a guy who we like to talk about in some ways as he came out of nowhere. No one saw this coming. And, and I'd say two things before I turn it over to you, Nate. Number one, he didn't come out of nowhere. There were people watching him. There were people advising Brian Cashman and his team on why this was a good pick. But Nate, the second thing is he didn't come out of nothing because as you saw, that guy is never, ever not working. And so to say he came out of nowhere, I, I think as you witnessed cheapens the amount of effort he puts into everything that he was able to accomplish last year yeah i mean i I think that's that's accurate i think you know i kind of went down to san antonio in january hoping to just sort of answer the question of how did you have such a good season last year really that was it you know because he he joined the yankees so late uh in spring training and then the season starts up and he just starts doing all these amazing things you know walk off hits and and clutch home runs and playing you know 
gold glove, platinum glove defense, all of a sudden he he burst onto our scene. And we never really had that opportunity, like, you know, when it's quiet in Tampa to dig into his backstory and figure out, you know, what he's been working on and how he got here. And so really, I just wanted to see and, and learn uh, about, you know, exactly that. How, how did he have such a good season last year and uh, kind of unknowingly stumbled into the very place where it happened. You know, he um, moved to San Antonio and began working out at this uh, training facility uh, near where he lives. And uh, it was just sort of a perfect fit. You know, the the, the owner of the uh, facility, Lee Fiocchi, was a former head strength and conditioning coordinator for the Angels. And when Jose was with the Rangers towards the end of the 2021 season, those two met up out there at Angel Stadium and had a conversation and you know, Lee was like, oh, you, you know, we have a facility down in San Antonio, you know, you should check it out. It was like the perfect fit for Jose. Um, it's very conducive to his schedule, which is uh, grueling. <laughs> he, he likes to get up, you know, before dawn and be at the uh, at the facility by like 6 a.m., four days a week at least during the off season. Um, and he spends a lot of time there at the trainers and the, the different coaches that work there just you know, prescribed him a, a really good plan and he stuck to it. And by the time he got to spring training in 2022 with the Rangers, he was feeling great. He was looking great. But, you know, it was just sort of a he he, he said he had a feeling in the back of his mind, even going back to the previous season that that they were going to trade him. And then, you know, the Yankees acquired Ben Rortvet to be the backup catcher to Kyle Higashioka going into 2022. Wartvet gets hurt. We need a catcher. We go out and get Trevino, and uh, you know, kind of the rest is history. I think that his story is so inspirational, and um, you know, I kind of got a, a really great sense of that when I did a Q and A with him several months before um, you went out to San Antonio, and, and almost a year now uh, prior to the, this piece being published, your piece being published. But you know, it, what's inspirational is like. His dream was to play for the Yankees. He came to the Yankees. He played for the Yankees. He's playing for the Yankees, and he's a great player. You know, it's to me, when I hear you talking now about the trip and what you witnessed, really what inspires me even more is just seeing someone or learning about how hard a person is working, you know, not to borrow the line exactly from Don Mattingly, but when nobody's watching. Like, the Yankees aren't there. There's no one you know, making sure that he's getting up at six in the morning. He has no reason to do that other than to simply take control of his career and do everything humanly possible to maximize his potential. And there's so few people in this world that do that with anything. Um, and some, you know, injuries prevent some people from doing it who may have otherwise done it. But, you know, there's so much made about him as far as he's an inspiration or his story is inspirational simply because he's living out this dream and, you know, the element of, of his dad being such a huge Yankees fan and, and kind of instilling that in him and all that. But honestly, having read your story and hearing you just kind of reflect on it, I think this is even more inspirational because it's it's exactly what should happen in, in life. You know, it's a, it's, it's a reward for somebody doing more than what most people are willing to do and not because it's part of their job, but because they want it. Man, and, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, he, that's exactly what he did. He was not happy with where his career 
how it had gone uh, over the first, you know, four years or so. There was injury issues. There was, you know, times when he just wasn't as effective as, as he wanted to be. And, you know, he's a guy who he wasn't a first round pick. He And, uh, you know, I think he was a sixth rounder. He, he's, you know, not the most physically imposing or, or, you know, physically gifted guy. He doesn't walk into a room and it's like, you know, Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge where you just notice them immediately and go, wow, this guy must be a, a professional athlete. Like, no, he's kind of stocky, well built, but not overwhelmingly so. Uh, but he knew that he needed to do this in order to get where he wanted to be and what he believed he had inside him. And um, during the regular season, like it's just so kind of chaotic and hectic. There's games every day and you see these catchers, they work so hard. Like, John, you, you see when Jose's in the clubhouse, he's usually kind of like zipping through. He's got like a binder tucked under his arm. Like he's always working. And so... I never had that opportunity to to really go, uh, you know, talk with him in depth last year or really get to know him all that well. So it was really cool of him to, to you know, invite us down there. Well, we kind of invited ourselves, but <laughs> to have Ari and I, uh, you know, spend some time down there with him and in a more, you know, relaxed environment, he like carved out a bunch of time to just sit down and told us basically, you know, his whole story. And um I was excited to share that with our readers. You say Ari, of course, we're talking about Ariel Goldman Hecht, our photographer. The shots in this story, I mean, we could have chosen 35 others that were just as awesome. It's really, I love that. It looks so much like San Antonio in a lot of ways, even when you're inside. It just looks very Texas in some ways. It's very compelling art in the feature. Nate, I think it's interesting you mentioned his clubhouse persona because there's one thing, he, he, he reminds me a little bit of Didi Gregorius uh, in the sense that he's so friendly and he's such a nice guy. And I think he's a rough interview in some ways because he always puts this like mask on in a sense of like you can be talking to him and smiling and laughing, whatever. And then the microphone goes on and you start getting very like different answers than the ones you were getting when you were just talking. And sometimes you want to be to him like, hey, man, remember the way we were just joking around like that? <laughs> can we go back to that? And I'm wondering... Like you said, I've never spent more than, you know, five minutes interviewing with him. How was he in that setting in that regard? Uh, he was great. He was just such a such a gracious host. And, um, you know, he's really proud of his uh, where he's from in South Texas. So he grew up in Corpus Christi, uh, which isn't too far away from San Antonio. And, you know, he was just like really excited to kind of point us in the direction of like good restaurants in San Antonio and stuff. And a uh, really cool city, by the way. That's um, really what I wanted to hear you talk about because yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it there, too. And, and I wanted to get some some restaurant recommendations. Yeah, he, he sent it. Actually, the first one he mentioned was before we even got down there, like we had we were communicating uh, him and Ari and I on a group text chain and he's like oh you know we said we're getting in the night before you got any dinner recommendations he sent us to Mitiera, and it was phenomenal it had like the mariachi band come around to your table while you're having dinner and stuff very memorable uh dinner experience but everything about it was just uh i saw a side of him that we would never have been able to see you know during the season for sure and um you know one of the most kind of 
I guess, unexpected aspects of the reporting process for this story was seeing there's a whole bunch of like high school kids that also train at this facility. And these kids down in South Texas, they take their baseball very seriously. Almost, I would say, you know, it's it's definitely on par with high school football down there. Maybe if you go a little north towards Dallas and stuff, football is bigger, but baseball is a big, big deal down there. And so there was a group, I mean, on the day we were there, there was probably 10 or 12 high school baseball and softball players in there at 6 a.m., you know, getting in full workouts a couple hours before they went to school. And to see the way Jose interacted with these kids was just really, really cool. You know, it was like they were not at all... (laughs) awed or intimidated by the fact that there was a big leaguer there. Um, They were pretty much all like on the same page, just like joking around with each other. And so that was uh, a big part of the story too, is talking to him about that dynamic. And uh, what really came through to me was how much he loves working with kids, working with, you know, some of the other younger professional athletes who work out there. There was a number of minor league players, uh, including uh, a Yankees minor league pitcher, Jack Neely. Jose has a great persona, a great kind of charisma to him. And he brings that to the gym and like all these kids and all these young guys just love being around him and joking around with him and also picking his brain and picking up valuable lessons about what it takes to be a professional baseball player. Well, Nate, the story is called The Fruits of Labor, and I think you did a great job, and again, Ari did a great job of capturing what that labor is. And again, maybe I'm betraying the point I made to start this conversation, because obviously I'll still say it wasn't out of nowhere it was worked for, but it is a very inspiring story. And certainly when I look to the story of the 2022 baseball season, of course, the first thing you go to is Aaron Judge's home runs and Garrett Cole, all, all that stuff. But I'll always have a very special place for the inning of Jose Trevino and Nestor Cortez in the all-star game Mm -hmm. for the world getting kind of to watch the the silliness and the fun and just how special that was I think it's great that in this April issue of Yankees magazine we got to have it in there guys I think this is a really good place where we can leave it here because you know we're, we're two weeks into the season now I think the you know you're supposed to win a third lose a third and so you do in the other third that counts and at present the Yankees have won the other third. They're, you know, <laughs> they've won two thirds of their game. So it's it's a nice place to be right now. I, it, it, I, I think I speak for you guys. I don't know. It's just, it is crazy how into the rhythm of the season you get so quickly. You know, the last time we were recording one of these, it was the day before opening day, and we were all the jitters and and crazy. What's going to come of it? And now it just feels like the season is just in full, full, full swing. I don't know when that happens, but it does happen overnight. I mean, it, it happens Literally the day happens after overnight. opening day. <laughs> yeah, still still adjusting a little bit to some of these early start times and quick games, but uh, it, it definitely feels good to be back in that back in the swing of things. Well, like I said, the, the the quick games. If you're looking for how to fill that extra thirty minutes to an hour you have because of these quick New York Yankees games, maybe you could spend some of that time uh, re-listening or listening for the first time to the New York Yankees official podcast. Telling your friends to listen to the New York Yankees official podcast. I think this is a lot of fun, guys. We have so many more fun interviews coming in the next few weeks. I love the chance to give uh, listeners a chance to hear more than just you know five minute whatever, but to get really in depth like we were able to get with Garrett Cole a couple weeks ago, and certainly with Kevin Reese in this episode. I, I love that conversation and. I love getting to talk to you guys about Yankees baseball in the thick of the baseball season. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. Looking forward to it. 
Hi, this is Carlos Rodon. For more stories like these, be sure to pick up Yankees Magazine. You can get a copy the next time you're at the ballpark or by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. Thanks for listening. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800 go yanks of course you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on twitter at yanks magazine or by liking us on facebook at yankees magazine that's it see you next time and go yanks